Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast, where Johnny Sue, your host, sits down and talks with the individuals I meet along my path as an undergraduate student. Currently, I'm a third year student studying in the science and business program specializing in biochemistry. Waterloo's co-op program gives me the opportunity to do five internships. Join me as I talk with fellow students, professors, entrepreneurs, doctors, athletes, and much more about their journey and experiences. Hopefully, you can learn something from this episode and truly broaden your perspective on life, family, work, whatever it may be. Without further ado, here we go. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ellen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. No worries at all. Yeah, so we we met, like, we were just talking about this, but we met, like, almost a year ago when we were both part of the, it was like a mini exchange program, I would say, where we were in Shenzhen and Hong Kong for two weeks to... Uh, check out what the entrepreneurship landscape looks like down there. A lot of touring of accelerators, incubators, and different startups. But it's crazy to think that it's been almost a year that's gone by since um, we last met and saw each other. But uh, this is going to be a good chance to sit down and kind of talk about some funny memories from the trip and also what you've been up to nowadays. Yeah, so, nice. good to hear your voice. So. Yeah. Um, so kind of the, the first question I kind of want to start things off is, is like a very typical um, interview question, but I think it'd be great for the audience to kind of get a sense of who you are, and what you're up to and the experience that you had. So do you kind of want to just start things off by saying um, what you're studying in school, what school you studied at, um, mm-hmm. different internship experiences you maybe had and some like extracurricular activities that you do on the side? Sure. So I'm Ellen. Um, I'm 22. I'm English and I grew up mainly in England. Um, I went to university at the University of Warwick. Um, which is in the UK, and I studied politics and international relations. I also studied one year in Hong Kong at City University, which was a really fun year. Um, I've had like a range of experience when I was a student. So when I was younger, from when I was kind of 16 and so on, I used to work in um, UK Parliament in my summers, and I used to work very closely with uh, politicians up there. And then when I was at university, I had some experiences from more politics to working with think tanks, to working for startups, it's all like a range of experiences, really, um, normally quite short term. Right. Um, and then I've also been lucky enough to live in quite a few different countries. So before university, I lived in Spain for a year. Um, also being kind of around the world, it's been super fun. Um, I graduated just after we met, actually, Johnny, which was um, last summer. And then I've been working since then, really, at a startup in the UK. So, yeah, that's me. Cool, cool. Um, so you mentioned you did a year abroad in Hong Kong. So was that was that part of like a exchange program through Warwick or? Yeah. Um, so what happened is in the UK, the system works completely differently from around the world. So if you want to do a year abroad in the UK, you have to take an extra year of study to go and study a year abroad, which for many people, obviously, that year is is quite a long time. So 
I chose this university because they chose around three people to go to Hong Kong for a year, but in their second year. So it meant that you did two years in the UK and one year in Hong Kong. So um, that was part of like a, I suppose, with my department, a special program that they ran, which was slightly different from regular Erasmus or exchange programs. Um, But yeah, it was City University in Hong Kong. Okay, cool. And how was uh, how was that experience like? I mean, were you in student dormitories or did you have like your own apartment on the side? Like, what was the experience like for you studying abroad? I really loved it. Like I knew, as I said, when I applied to the university, I really wanted to go there purely because of that reason as well, alongside my course. Um, it was such a fun experience. I really loved it. I lived in student dorms. For anyone that's lived in Hong Kong, it's a very cramped city. So you live with like another student from the university. Sometimes they're a local student or sometimes they're international. The university that I went to was around half of the students were international, I believe. So it was a real mix. Yeah, it was a real mix. And it was super fun. Um, Lots of kind of trips to different islands, lots of nights out of experience like it's it was absolutely amazing experience. The university itself had like lots of different opportunities and really looked after their students. Um, the, the studying, to be honest, was very different from in the UK. So that was a little okay. bit of an adjustment, but it was, I think, the best year of my studies. I absolutely loved it. Damn. What would you say was like one of the best highlights from your time in Hong Kong? Hmm. There were quite a few, but I'd say there were a few days where we would kind of go out to, so you can get some boats in Hong Kong. You can go from the island to a, a Hong, um, an island in about half an hour. So we'll go out okay. on a speedboat to an island, um, go like jumping in waterfalls, swimming, spending all day on the beach, hiking, and then we'll come back and then the kind of night out to finish the day. In, in the evening, going for a really lovely meal and in one of the rooftops on the island side. So I had a day, like many days like that, really. So that those days were the highlights. Right. I'd just had a really fun, fun year, really. Yeah. So um, when you were studying abroad, like were your credits all like pass fail or is it like a, a grade number that was being transferred back to the to the university? I think normally it depends on the university, but often it's a lot more lenient. But because mine contributed to my final grade, it was uh, like assessed like in a normal sense and then was transferred back as regular credits. Ah, Okay, I see. Yeah, no, I can uh, definitely attest to how fun studying abroad really is. Right now I'm still in Singapore, although I wouldn't really count it studying abroad anymore because all I'm doing is sitting at home. But before the entire like coronavirus, like lockdown situation stuff, like the past, what, month and a half, two months was like the best time of my life. And for me, all my courses were pass fail. So I just needed a Mm -hmm. 50 to pass. So I wasn't really like spending a lot of time in school. And that wasn't really my goal. Anyways, I wasn't trying to go to Singapore and be cramped in a library all the time. And so Mm -hmm. like we would just have like crazy days or we'd like, you know, on weekends, like fly to Malaysia or like for our recess week, we flew to Vietnam and we did like a, a nine day, a week and a half kind of tour across all of Vietnam. And so we we're going to do a lot more yeah. traveling, but then the coronavirus stuff happened. And so a lot of my friends all got recalled like back to the States. 
Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's been, it's been crazy and it's, I've definitely had a blast. So I highly recommend anybody who has a chance to go on exchange to definitely do that. Um, super cool opportunity. But, uh, you mentioned that you, you lived in Spain before you started university. So what was, what was that for? Yeah, so I did, I took a gap year between college and university. So that's, I suppose, in your right. terms, like high school and university. But um, I I actually went to India for three months first. Um, and I went on like a scheme out there. And I lived in Tamil Nadu in like a, a small village for a, a, around three months. And then after that, wow. I went to Spain. Yeah, so I lived in Madrid for around six to seven months. And then I was in Barcelona for around two months. Um, so that was to learn Spanish. I just decided on a whim that yeah. I was going to be like, I was going to learn Spanish and I was going to learn it just living there and not going to any classes. So um, yeah, that's what happened really. Wow, that's that's crazy. So what was it like in India? I mean, you're just in like a, a village, like how did you even get the logistics and match up of like your housing situation and stuff like that? Like how, how did you even decide to, you know, take this gap here and just like live in India and Spain and stuff? So to be honest, so most things I really think through, but these things I did not think through at all. So what <laughs> happened was that um, <laughs> with India, what I think I was in, I was in Spain previously, like in the summer, and I wasn't really sure what to do on my gap year. I just decided that I would take one. And they're quite normal here to do just before university or sometimes afterwards, but it's quite a regular thing to do so I was in Spain I'd applied to a program which is a government UK government program where you go and uh, live for example three months or a bit less in different countries around the world and I'd chosen a selection of countries I can't remember now at the top of my head but um, India wasn't on that list but they'd made a mistake with my application and I think in one day they said oh gosh, we've made a mistake, but actually there's a space free to go to India and you have to decide with it by the end of today. And I read the email at like 11, I think 10 p.m. Spain time. So I just decided within an hour, okay, I'll just go. So there was no, (laughs) (laughs) there was no like thinking through or logic behind it. It just kind of happened that way. Um, So I, it was most of it was organized but they decided where you would go so they decided we would go to Tamil Nadu in the south they decided like where we would live and so on and so forth the setup was living in a a village which was it was quite interesting really because the village had tribes so we lived around different tribes so there was like and there were different sorts of tribes but it wasn't very clear to me the differences and so on but it was like a very small but very complex village in terms of setup and in the village as well there was we lived right next to kind of this lane where everyone decided they would um, be vegetarian in the lane so it was named like vegetarian street so there was it was all kind of decided for me but it was definitely a good experience in the hour that I decided that I would make that decision yeah so like what did you what were you doing like while you were in India there was it just like you were just kind of just chilling, chilling there and like living out what it was like and experiencing a different culture or were you there for like uh like a job or it was like a, a volunteer program so 
we okay. were assigned to help specifically we could decide roughly what we wanted to help with but i think the options between were health and sanitation women's rights and um i believe something like employment so okay. um i think i went down more the roots of employment and kind of um upskilling so to speak um so lots of people were set different roles but you would work with a team some of the team were people from around the world some of the team were people that were from that local area um, and you would work together to kind of come up with a, a goal or a plan as to what you were going to do um to be quite honest it was quite disorganized so you had to decide what you wanted to do yeah. and if you wanted to go off on your own and do something you could do that um but actually, it was the year of the Chennai floods, which was the it was like a huge flood that hit Chennai. And we had to kind of evacuate right. and leave because I think it was the most rain in 100 years. It was wow. really crazy. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So then was uh, was your time in Spain? Was that also through the government or is that just you saying, hey, I want to I want to learn Spanish. So you just decided oh, was- to go and live there. There was um, no real thinking behind it. I just decided <laughs> I'm just going to move. I just bought a plane yeah. ticket. Okay, I'm going to live there. And I lived with uh, Spanish families and I would kind of speak to their, their children once a day or twice a day in English. Um, and then I would just live there really. And then I, I taught some more English whilst I was out there as well. But that was completely disorganized. Wow. It was just on a whim. <laughs> yeah. No, because I, I, you mentioned earlier that like gap years are, are really common in the in the UK, but like I would say in Canada, like people do take gap years, but I think like coming out of high school, most people that are like, okay, I'm going to take a gap year. I think it's like kind of frowned upon by people, but to be honest, mm-hmm. like looking at, looking back at it now, I totally wish I would have done a gap year because like, I feel like if you go from high school straight into university, you don't really get that time to pause and think about you know, what it is that you want to dedicate your life towards, like when you're finishing university and stuff like that. So I feel like a gap year is a great chance for you to, you know, open your mind up to different perspectives. And like being in Singapore, even like the culture here is not, it's not as insane as if I moved to like a, a country where I couldn't speak the language. Cause in Singapore, everyone here speaks English anyways, but even that, like the culture that I'm experiencing is like so, so different. And honestly, a year in the grand scheme of things is, is nothing really like, in Singapore, I think the the army has a conscription requirement of two years. So everybody that I'm that I have like local classmates here, they're all like, you know, same year as me, like second or third year university, but they they'll be like 25 or 26, just because they had to pause for their army conscription service, finish that and then come back into school. And they're like 25, 26. And they're like, wait, you're third year? How old are you? I'm like, oh, I'm 20. They're like, what the heck? Like, we're, we're so much older. But like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, taking that time is definitely worth it to experience, um, you know, things across the world. But like, what would you say was the biggest highlight for you? Like, whether that be in India or or in Spain? I would say the biggest highlight was, there wasn't a specific, you know, day or moment, but it was when I reached a point of Spanish that I felt was, I'd really made huge progress. And when I'd kind of reached a level of, of fluency, um, that was a real kind of, I suppose, highlight because it had been, I'd set aside maybe like five hours a day. I would make sure that I was either listening or speaking Spanish. And when I moved there, I was just, I just couldn't say anything at all. So it was really kind of such a right. change from going from that 
to kind of, uh, you know, even six months later, a huge improvement. So there were moments like that where I could really understand and really speak with with some level of fluency that was kind of a, a highlight, I suppose. Um, and on the topic of choosing a, a gap year or not to choose a gap year, I don't think it necessarily yeah. matters when you do it. Obviously, it's quite a nice break to go from school to do a gap year and do university. But lots of people will do one after university as well. Um, there's so many different times you could do it. But in my experience, right. I just really wanted I just knew I wanted to do one from a young age. So it was definitely worth it. And that extra year is nothing, really, as you say, in the grand scheme of things. It's, yep. it's not much time at all. Yeah. So are you still uh, fluent in Spanish now? Um, yeah. So sometimes it kind of goes in and out. Um, yeah. I, it's not professional. I wouldn't say it's professional fluency. Um, right. Sometimes, and, you know, business calls it's a li little bit tricky but um it's it's still there I still kind of go back to Spain at least once a year or once every two years so it's still there and I still have a lot of good Spanish friends sweet yeah that's good because I know like for me like growing up Canada like most schools require you to learn French like as you come up through whatever primary school middle school high school and stuff and like, I've been learning French for like 13 years and I would do like, you know, have like French tutors on the side, but now mm -hmm. I like cannot, like my French is like gone. Like I can't even speak it. Um, so it's just sad, but I feel like, you know, in order to like maintain a certain quality or, or to be good at a certain language or like to maintain like your development on a language, like you have to be able to speak it like every day, like after graduating high school, like I just stopped speaking French and then it was just boom, like all of it down the drain. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Still trying to pick That's it up again. No, I had the same. I had the same. I did. I did French for probably three to five years at school, um, but I couldn't okay. really speak anything at until I moved. Uh, when I was just in Switzerland for some time, then everything was fine again. But um, I think the yeah. in I don't know like in Canada, but the UK system for teaching French was not the the best level. I I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Canada was that good either. I just remember learning the same things from like grade eight till grade twelve. Like I don't, I don't remember the curriculum being any harder or things being any different. It was always like them teaching us the same thing. So I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. Okay, so I kind of want to switch things um, into more like a discussion about your professional experiences right now. So I know right now you're working mm -hmm. at Eleven FS Consulting. So do you want to just give a quick? Mm -hmm background introduction to what the company does in terms of is there a specific area of consulting that they work is it management consulting or um, some background information on the company sure so um, 11fs is a, a company it's around four years old so it's still it's kind of a startup that's evolving extremely quickly um, they are a, a digital company and they, we work in fintech so the consulting element itself, is working purely within in fintech so we will work with companies banks fintechs organizations to create financial services that are truly digital um, and the consulting itself is a mix of as, as we've just highlighted fintech consulting so it's very specific but it's right. around strategy product building research as well it covers lots of different elements if you wanted to build a fintech and scale a fintech hmm. 
So what's uh, what's a day in the life for you before the coronavirus situation? You had to work from home and everything, being in a consulting mm-hmm. environment and also having it be a startup as well. What was a day in the life in the life like for you? So it really depends day to day. So I do in consulting, I mainly do research and strategy. It really depends day to day because most consultants will be their kind of day to day would be decided by what project they're working on. Most of the time you're working with a client. So it's always dictated around that most of the time. So if I was going to start a project, my day to day would be doing loads of research, lots of client management, lots of engagement to understand like the current situation, the area that they're mm-hmm. they're looking into, research into the specifics. So just be searching for all the information possible, like a, a sieve almost. And then if we're looking in later on in a project, I might be doing a whole week of doing product design. So whatever opportunity we identify, then what would the what would it look like for a customer? How would we solve a customer problem? And what would that look like? We use a type of research which is called jobs to be done which is a a framework of research which works out what the greatest problem is for a customer or for a person and how to solve that problem. Um, So it really can depend. And and day-to-day, I'd say standard things, aside from what the project might delegate, would be doing some sales, biz dev, sometimes um, a lot of client engagement, which I really enjoy and is probably the part of my job that I enjoyed the most um lots of research and then on the back of that research strategizing so that's kind of a day-to-day i would say Hmm. and how how has that changed now with the entire coronavirus situation i mean i know that you're working from home but um what's it like you know working remotely do you find it harder to stay focused um on kind of like the day-to-day tasks or what's it been like for you now hmm I'd say it's pretty much the same things. It's just obviously a lot of the same client engagement would be over a a video call rather than in person. And equally, a lot of our communication internally would be almost over communicating to try and make sure that everyone is on the same page all of the time. So it's a lot more calls, a lot more um, thinking about how you communicate things across to make sure it's clearer. But the structure is pretty much the same. Right. We've been set up to be digital and work from home for a very long time. So we're pretty well set up for this Sweet. specific. Um, but I'd say it's in terms of focusing, I think it really mm-hmm. depends. Uh, I think actually from home, I can sometimes focus better. Um, and especially if I have a specific task and a specific goal to work towards that's very tangible and I can see or I break up a goal into small chunks then it's much easier for me regardless of whether I'm working from home or in the office I have to say I probably enjoy working in the office more because I really enjoy my work I really enjoy as I say the client engagement side but it's right it's pretty much to be honest and I think here I am finding new ways to kind of focus better and that's working out for me Right. Um, so you mentioned like it's it's really good for you to be able to look at this big problem or this big barrier that you have to work towards, and then it helps if it's if it's broken down into tangible like tasks that kind of accumulate up to solve that one problem. Kind of mm-hmm. on the the topic of that, 
Do you have any like general productivity hacks that you think work for you really well, whether that be for your time uh, during your internships or even now during your full-time work or even as a student back in university in terms of like optimizing your way to study or putting yourself in a position where you're the most focused? Like what are some of your productivity hacks? Good question, because it's been a, a road. It's been a ride. I can tell you that. Um, at mm-hmm. university, I actually really struggled to focus, I think, because most of my coursework was done on my own. Most of the teaching like was very limited. So it put a lot of the focus on you to produce your own work in the set time limits. And actually, I think at points I wasn't very good at focusing or being productive because whenever I would sit down to work, maybe I'll get distracted or maybe I'd look at my phone or maybe I'd skip to another task um, or keep checking my emails, you know, multiple things that can stop you from concentrating when you need to write a very long essay or dissertation. Um I find that in general, I work better if I have some form of accountability. So I have someone that I need, someone I need to perform for, or I can see that someone's going to be, I I don't want to let someone down. And that's the tricky thing with when you're working at university sometimes is because unless it's a group project, you are accountable for yourself. So I find either creating that accountability or making sure that someone else is holding you to account to make sure you're doing your work is very important. And then also making sure that when you sit down to do work, that is the only thing you do. And when you do that, you focus on one specific task because at work, it depends what work you'll be doing, but often you'll have to multitask, which is fine. There'll be multiple projects, multiple messages that will come through constantly and you'll have to learn how to multitask. But when you're a student, you might say, for example, in my case, have five or six essays to write. And what I used to do sometimes is switch constantly between all of them because I think of a new idea for a new for another essay or I think of a new idea for this or I'd be doing uh, interviews or internship prep. So I'd constantly be thinking of lots of different things and it meant that I couldn't really focus fully on the task that was set. So making sure that when you sit down, you turn off your distractions, you make sure that you're in an area that you won't get distracted, that so you won't see people you know, that when you sit down to work, that is your time to work for nothing else. And that when you do work, it's on one specific thing and that you try and avoid looking at anything else. I have tried doing things like the Pomodoro technique and kind of doing one hour off, like 15 minutes off. I think it really depends person to person. And I don't think those hacks necessarily work for everyone. But I do think that making sure you remain focused, you set a focus and you remain focused is very important. And equally, if you have, say, for example, a big task, like you have to write a dissertation, that you break it up and you set goals and you set like a time limit for each one so you'd make sure that you'd done all of your research by x date and by that point you would like to know x y and z and you start breaking it up in that way because otherwise people can get very overwhelmed when they have a big big task and they don't really know how to approach it in the best sense right yeah i can definitely attest to that like i would say task switching is probably my biggest weakness because like 
I'll have a few different tasks that I'm juggling and, you know, I'll work 15, 20 minutes on one and then switch to the next one and keep switching to the next one. And then at the end of the day, like, especially, I feel like I felt this most when I was doing my internships at the end of the day, I would look at all the different tasks that I had and I would have done like barely anything for any of them just because I wasted so mm-hmm. much time like switching in between tasks. Like I think I read this article once where it was like the time that it takes your brain to get focused onto one task is 20 minutes. So every time you distract yourself from a task, like let's say I work on one task for 15 minutes and I switch to another one, it'll take me 20 minutes to get my mind switched to this next task and ready to you know work on this. So it's like, I feel like task switching is, is a big problem that I feel like a lot of people might struggle with. But for me, that definitely was one of my biggest problems too. So um, good to hear. Good to hear. Sorry, go on. I was about to say you can manage it by avoiding those distractions by turning everything off and making sure you only focus on one yeah. thing. But one thing that's really good to do is if you create a motivation for that goal or a motivation for that specific task, then it makes it easier to obtain. Because say, for example, if you have to do, if you're a student and you have to write an essay or you're at work and you have to produce a report, for example, you might not see that in a grand scheme of things. But if you can take that one task and see how that builds up to a bigger goal, like that you want Mm. to get a a star I don't know how the system works in your in your university but you want to get the top grade at your university so that's going to help towards that or that you want to complete this by the end of the day so you can go out and have fun later on or equally in your career it's even it's even longer scale things because you're not really sure what's going to happen in the future so you just want to do that because you will make sure that it will gain you new skills or you will you'll feel good about yourself and about your your ability. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that as well. Um, so with with consulting, I feel like consulting is one of those jobs that a lot of university students strive to go for. So, you know, now that you've been at this company for what, like almost almost a year now, eight months, nine months, what would you say are some of the key characteristics that a successful individual working for a consulting company should have? Like if, if I'm a university student, I want to get a internship at a consulting company, what uh, skills should I work on improving? Like what skills does it take to be a, a good employee at a consulting company? Good question. Um, it was the same at my university. So my university was very, Banking and consulting focus. That was like the key goal for a lot of students. Um, And it's a very good um, place to start your career because you'll be working on lots of different things. So it could be in lots of different industries or you could be working with lots of different clients. So it gives you good exposure and good experience. I personally really enjoy it. Um, In terms of what you would need, you have it's kind of obvious, but you need to be very good at problem solving. And I feel like that term maybe gets used quite a lot. But actually, when you're problem solving, it's about what we were discussing before, taking that problem and breaking it down and into very tangible goals or breaking it down into tangible, smaller problems that you can solve for. So lots of consultancies, for example, will have um, a client coming towards them and they might have a, a huge problem. Um, And it might seem very daunting at first, like, how are you going to work it out? It's very important that you create stages to work out 
how on earth you would solve that problem. So you need to know. So you might decide stage one is that you need to understand the environment. Stage two is that you might need to understand the competitive landscape and then so on and so forth. Um, And it's also very important at those sorts of points, I'd say, with problem solving to remain very level headed and calm. Um, You know, it's not an easy task sometimes, but remaining extremely confident in the process you've got to really enjoy that process of solving the problem and remaining very level-headed and calm when solving it rather than sort of rushing to any conclusions um i'd also say analysis is very important so you need to be able to, to analyze information because you're going to be given a lot of information you'll have information from your clients you'll have information from the industry you might go out and do your own research or create your own product. And that's going to be a lot of information. You need to analyze a lot and bring it down to important details. Um, And then I'd say, finally, it really depends what sort of consulting you go into. But I'd say for management and strategy consultancy, people skills, and being very good at working in a team, very important because you're always going to be working in a team. The Broaden Your Perspective podcast is meant to be a platform for anybody who has a story to share. If you want to come on the podcast for an episode to talk about your journey and experiences, feel free to reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and Facebook.